What's going on, everybody? I'm Mara. And I'm Tez. And welcome back to Sisters Who Kill. Y'all, I know that most people love being in love. They love be having y'all looking so crazy in love. Got you looking, got y'all looking so crazy in love. If you're listening to this, you probably already know what I'm about to say, that today is the day for you to start your podcast. You have everything that you need, your computer, a little microphone, and Spotify for podcasters. It is the all-in-one platform where you can host, edit, and record your podcast and distribute it everywhere. Where you're listening right now, you can have your podcast there. I promise, for real. And it's free. And you can make some money off of your podcast for free. Free money. Free money is out there. Just go get it by starting your podcast today. Our players this week are Marcel Donovan Hill, Camille's boyfriend slash our victim, and Camille Gamut, our murderess. Camille Gamut was born on February 21st, 1983 in Jackson, Michigan. She had three brothers and three sisters. And even though her mom and dad had seven children, what made matters worse was that mom and dad liked to drink and use drugs all the time. And what made it even worse than that was that dad was hella abusive, beating on mom all the time. Mom ended up leaving, but mom just kind of, you know, she had a drinking problem. She jumped from worse men to worse men to worse men. When Camille was four, her mom moved her and the entire family to Iowa. She was like, okay, we're going to get a better life. And when they got there, it was pretty much the complete opposite. She met a new guy. I don't know his name, but mom met this new boyfriend that was probably like the rock bottom of boyfriends that she had at the time the cps stepped in took all the kids they said her brother was like some of the sisters went together and the rest of us went into separate homes now at that time she was four years old and from the time that she was four through the time that she was about 12 years old she had been to 13 different foster homes and four detention centers and like the foster homes weren't any good they were like giving them drugs. One of the foster dads was raping her and her sister. Horrible places for her to be in. And she's like literally 12. So when she turned 16, she was like, fuck this shit. I'm sick and tired of being, you know, the property of the state. I'm about just, I'm going to be out here on my own. I'm going to do my own thing. So she was working like minimum wage jobs. She was on, a, you know, government assistance. She was getting snaps. She was getting EBT. She was having kids at this time because she was also going from worst man to worst man. But by the time she was 17 years old, she managed to get her GED because she was like, okay, you know, I need some type of education. You know, I got to get a better job. Personal life always got in the way of her getting better jobs because she was dating these niggas that were like coming up to her job that were pulling her away from what was important treating her like shit all the time and she was just you know trying to make a better life but what she was doing is she was like okay I'm just gonna have to rob people I'm gonna have to burglarize some people she had to keep moving she kept going in and out of jail now in November of 2005 she had a theft which was a simple misdemeanor and she pled guilty but she didn't serve any time and then on December of the same year she had a 
domestic dispute with her boyfriend at the time. So that was November of 2005. Then in December of 2005, she had a domestic dispute between her and whoever her boyfriend was at the time. I don't know details about that particular case, but let's keep going. At the end of 2006, she was like, all right, I'm going to move to Ohio. She gets to Ohio and she meets this guy named Derek Drummond. They have four kids together. The only reason that we know about their relationship is because of court documents. There are five cases that we could find between her and Derek between 2007 and 2009. So take that information what you will. On April 2007, she was arrested for domestic violence, disorderly conduct, for threatening to kill him, but the charges were eventually dismissed. Then May of 2007, she was arrested again for endangering a child and domestic abuse because she was fighting with Derek and she picked up a fire extinguisher and threw it at him. And then after that, she picked up a car seat with the child in the car seat and threw it at him. She went to jail for a couple days. Derek dropped the charges. On November of 2007, she got arrested for resisting arrest, disorderly conduct, charges again. They were dismissed. On March of 2009, she had disorderly conduct, obstructing official business, making false statements, and this was all with a fight with Derek. Then, January of 2010, another theft. She pled guilty. She paid a fine. March of 2011, burglary again but this time there was a warrant out for her arrest and she was held with no bond and was sent to prison for one whole year she had her kids taken away from her they had to go to safe custody now the cycle is continuing and she goes to this year and she's like i I gotta get my life together when i get out of here like one year prison really like made her get her shit together right that's when she got out she got out of march of 2012 and she was like everything's gonna be great looking bright gonna work to get my kids back gonna have a positive thing because i know i'm not going back there then on june of 2012 she was walking down the street and she saw this guy riding a bike and the guy that she met that day's name was marcel Hill. Marcel was born in 1975, so he's like eight years older than Camille, but he was born with fetal alcohol syndrome, and he had meningitis as a kid, so he kind of walked with a limp. Court docs say he kicked forward like a horse. While he was growing up and when he became an adult, his family took care of him. He had to take special education classes in high school and worked in fast food restaurants to make money and get by. He loved working at the restaurants, though, because he wanted to become a chef. And he would cook Sunday dinners for his big family. The cooking was leading to bad chronic back pain. So he couldn't really do that either. He couldn't work. Not being able to work, he got disability checks and he even got extra checks to hire a full-time caregiver. But just like Camille, Marcel also had a few run-ins with the law. Like back in 1998, it was just retail fraud. And in 2001... Mm, that was second-degree sexual assault and felonious act with breaking and entering illegal entry without permission, assault and battery, all of that. So for the retail fraud, he spent 24 months in jail, but for the sexual assault, he didn't get any jail time at all. I feel like sex crimes get the least punishment. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. I got that he was on the sexual offenders list at uh, uh, from Snap. And then later in 20, 2005, he did another 24 months in jail for second-degree assault. So, I mean, he's kind of all over the place, but um, he's no angel either, you know? Camille out here trying to get her life straight. She need a real legit job where she can, you know, provide for her kids, get her life back on track, right? So not only was... 
this relationship or friendship or whatever blossoming and, you know, things are moving from platonic to not so much. And she was still living with her brother. And she was like, you know what? I'd rather be with you. You need a full-time caregiver. I can get paid to take care of you, which I want to do anyways because you're my boo, right? Is this not the best setup ever, right? That made me think. I was like, listen, is that a job? Because... (laughs) Yeah, man, yeah. Get you a boo that need help. They moved in together, and Camille would get paid to be with her boyfriend and just help take care of him. She'd do his laundry. She'd get his groceries, you know, make sure he gets what he needed. And when he would go out, she would make sure he's okay, you know, being a caregiver, doing her job, right? (laughs) By August 2012, Camille was legally his full-time chore provider everything wasn't all sunny and dandy over here their relationship was actually pretty tumultuous like toxic as hell marcel allegedly according to camille and her brother got camille hooked to crack which is like whoa after they got together her anger her attitude got worse she was always drunk or high and they were always fighting when their relationship was good, it was good. It was great. But when it was bad, boy, was it bad. The cops were always caught on them by their neighbors, by each other. But usually, like, if one of them calls the cops on each other, the one who called is the only one there. Like, the other one is a skip out so that nobody ends up having to get arrested. Like, well, if I'm not there, they're not going to hunt you down for that shit. But on New Year's Eve of 2012, they were both drunk, high, and they was boxing each other. And... Camille called the cops. Now, when the cops get there, both of them were there. And the cops said that they were hot and sweaty and both had major injuries. Camille told the cops that she held Marcel down until the cops arrived because he usually leaves before they get there. In their report, they said Camille appeared to be the stronger of the two. But neither one of them wanted to press charges, so the cops left. Camille and Marcel kept getting high, kept fighting, kept calling the cops, kept making up, kept getting high, kept fighting, kept calling the cops, kept making up. Just a cycle that they was on. And it didn't stop. It's one thing when your relationship affects you, but like when everybody else has to feel the drama and the toxicity of your relationship too. Like Marcel's family was like, listen, bro, fire that girl, break up with that girl, do whatever you got to do, but she's no good for you. Get her out of here. Right. And Camille's brother was trying to get him away too. He was like, girl, you you doing crack now? Like, what are you doing? This ain't the job for you. This this not you. the moves you were supposed to be making, you know? Marcel's family was like, first of all, girl, you the one burning through the money. But Camille's brother was like, no, it's not my sister burning through the money. It's them smoking crack that's burning through the money. Which, I mean, a crackhead would be starving. And you give them $5, they're going to get some crack. So, <laughs> Could be. By the end of 2012, Marcel was getting payday loans for his disability checks to make ends meet. And just wasn't making sense. Like, damn, you was better off before you got the assistance. With the money becoming an issue, it just gave them another reason to fight. So, in February of 2013, Camille ends up stabbing Marcel for the first time. We don't have too much information (laughs) about this incident. Marcel went over to his aunt's one day and she kind of noticed some black thread on his chest and was like, boy, what is this? And he was like, <laughs> crazy bitch, stab me. But I'm cool, though. It ain't nothing. Sold me up. We all good. She sewed you up. His aunt did not think this was funny, cute, nothing, none of the above. 
But Marcel was like, you know, I'm fine. Honestly, like, it's nothing to worry about, right? Then, on March 1st, 2013, Camille and he, he and Camille got into another fight. And Camille picked up the knife and stabbed Marcel in the chest. Now she begins to freak out and she gets the black sewing thread and she sews up his wound. It wouldn't heal, so on March 3rd, two days later, Marcel goes to the hospital and ends up having a collapsed lung. And they notice more sutures in his chest. Marcel tells the hospital uh, the the common tale told between most domestic violence victims, and that is, I fell down the stairs. He said he fell down the stairs, and he landed on a nail, and that's why Camille had to sew up his chest. That's what got me. I really didn't care about him saying that he fell down the stairs. I have seen people fall down the stairs on accident and really mess themselves up, but you fell down the stairs and landed on a nail? That's I mean, what messed me up. Some people have some luck, you know? I mean, <laughs> I'm the clumsiest person I know. Since he didn't tell the hospital that Camille was the one to stab him, no cops were called for this incident. Now, Marcel's family, however, was shook. But again, he's laughing it off when he tells them what happened. Now, five days later, on March 8th, Camille and Marcel are drunk and high, and you know what happens next? They get to fighting. This time, Camille picks up a hammer. And hits Marcel in the back of the head with it. He's got blood gushing from his head. He decides to get on a bike and go to his cousin Barbara's house to get some help. So he shows up at Barbara's house and Barbara's like, and Barbara's like, boy, what happened to you? And she calls the police. And when the cops show up, they take him to the hospital. And Marcel makes the statement saying that he wanted to press charges against Camille. He said, Camille came in around 4 a.m., high on crack and drunk on alcohol. And when I told her to leave because she was starting a false argument, she began calling the police under her alias name, Ashley Jones. She'll call y'all, and then she's going to take the battery out of her phone. I'm afraid of Camille Gaming. Like, she really assaulted me tonight. Like, all that other shit was fun and games, but this bitch just hit me with a hammer. With a hammer in the head? In my head. So he's like, so yeah, I told her to leave. She wouldn't. So I left, and I made contact with my cousin Barbara, and I want to press charges. So he signs it, he dates it, and the police go to her house. And when they get there, they find Camille laying on a bloody bed, passed out with her face next to what, you guys? The bloody hammer. They arrest her. She's taken off to jail. And at the hospital, Marcel is being treated for his wounds and told the nurse that he was suicidal. So on March 12th, the nurse petitioned to have him hospitalized in a treatment center for mental health and substance abuse. And he was admitted the next day. So, of course, Camille's side of the story was that Marcel is the one who started it. And she was only defending herself. A few weeks after, Marcel was like, you know what? I miss that girl. I miss her so much. So he wrote a letter. And said, you know, I can't be sure if it was Camille that actually hit me in the head. So you can't charge her because I can't be sure. So I'm not, I'm, I, please drop the charges. So they released her on bail. And the only contingencies of her bail was that Camille could not do drugs. And she could not contact Marcel. So she went to go stay with her brother T. And when she got there, T. Tavares said that she had blunt burns on her neck and on her ear, and that her ear was like bitten, like it was bitten off. He asked her what happened, and she was like, "Marcel did this to me." T. was like, "All right, listen to me. Do not go back to this nigga. Y'all need to not be next to each other." 
Repeat after me. Do not go back to this nigga. And all, I'm, I'm telling you, just like Marcel's family was repeating that to him, her side was repeating that to her. But, of course, that didn't last long because she missed Marcel just as much as Marcel missed her. And the next week, Cammy went to go see her under her alias, you know, Ashley Jones. Then he discharged himself from the hospital. She picks him up from the hospital and they just go on their merry way together. But Camille's brother, I don't know if he was a big brother or a little brother, but he was a brother, okay? He wasn't fucking with any of that shit. And so he decided to write a letter. And he wrote a letter to the judge telling the judge about how she's getting high and hanging out with Marcel. And that's a violation of her bond agreement. So at the beginning of 2013, Camille was put back in jail for violating her bond agreement. That's crazy that your brother put you back in, but honestly... He was looking out for your best interest at this point. He said, you think I'm playing with you? I'm not playing with you. Streaming October 6th on Paramount+. Plus. first place I learned about death was a pet cemetery. Dead things buried in that land. But come back. There's something else. Something's wrong with Timmy. He needs time to adjust. That's not Timmy. Something's talking through him. Sometimes dead is better. Pet Cemetery, Bloodline, Rated R, streaming only on Paramount Plus. Marcel missed her again, and of course they re- reignited everything. Got the police to drop the charges. She was released on May 9, 2013. They moved together to 714 Langston Avenue, apartment number two. Which was like, it's one of those houses that you could definitely could have converted it into a bed and breakfast, but they decided to make a whole bunch of little apartments instead. Mm-hmm. It was one of them, like a big house that had many apartments in it. So the first week that they lived there, all they do in their new abode is get high, drink, and fight. I mean, good golly, don't you want no peace? Eight days later, on March 17th, Camille and Marcel went out to a bar for drinks and dinner. State night. Them niggas get to the bar and they fight the whole fucking night. It was so bad, the restaurant ended up calling the cops. Three times. Y'all would have been out my shit by then. Y'all not about to be disturbing everybody's time. So the last time the cops were called, they were fighting over the house keys. Marcel wanted Camille to leave with him right then and there because she had drank too much. But she didn't want to go. She was still having fun. And the police told both of them to calm the hell down and go home. They go home around 1230 a.m. So now it's like May 18th, right? We're into the next day. So right. they get back home, smoke a little crack, watch movie. And uh, they get into an argument. So no one really knows what they're fighting about, but they know that they had a history of getting lit, starting the shits. They were screaming. They were yelling. Camille's throwing cups, plates, the microwave, frying pan, anything she can get her hands on. They're going hard. And then Marcel starts hitting her. She grabs the floor lamp and begins hitting him with pieces of it. Okay, y'all know them lamps that... um. They come with three pieces. You got to screw them together to make one tall lamp. That's what she's hitting with. Like, it's it's she's got the pieces of it broken up, and she's hitting him with the pieces of that. Mm-hmm. So now she gets control of the fight, and she finds a fish filleting knife, and she begins stabbing Marcel. Blood spewed out everywhere, and she ended up stabbing him a total of 11 times, some in the head, some in the back, some in the chest, while he laid on an air mattress after he stopped fighting back 
Camille put on her shoes, left the apartment, and walked around the little, like, backyard field area. She called 911 at 3.07 a.m. She told the dispatcher that she needed an ambulance because there was a man losing a lot of blood. The lady is like, okay, we got people going on the way. Um, Who are you? Can you tell me what's going on? Click. She hangs up. She calls back a little later. She's like, are the police, are the ambulance coming? And she's like, yes, but the ambulance is going to want to speak to you. People are en route. What is going on? What's going on? Can you tell me anything? Click. Hangs up again. It took police a while to get there. It said that about 20 minutes had passed. And she called back two more times trying to see what was going on. And she was like asking, is the ambulance on the way? But, you know, this was in a hood. 20 minutes was like, I'm almost sure that her wounds were fatal. But 20 minutes... That's a long time. That's 20 minutes that she called, so I'm pretty sure it's been a longer time since he's been deceased. And, of course, the dispatcher, every time that she calls, is trying to keep her on the phone, but she keeps hanging up, and I would, too. Because she had called so many times, the police that arrived on the scene, they see the scene, they see that it's a mess, they see that there's blood splatter everywhere that there's the kitchen is in disarray, living room is in disarray, everything is going crazy, and they're like, okay, we need you to ping that call and see where that caller is coming from. They ping the call. And the killer was inside of the house. <laughs> I'm just kidding. She was outside. She was outside. They were like, they were like, wherever she is, she's 25. She's like 25 feet away from you all. And so they go outside and they start shining their flashlights. And they see her coming from the bushes. And they're like, ma'am. And they look and she's got on some white tennis shoes. And there's blood on them. They try to talk to her and she is hammered. She is, like, slurring her speech. She is clearly drunk as fuck. And so they arrest her, and they're like, okay, we're going to have to take her in to at least an interrogation room somewhere immediately. They take her into the interrogation room, and they leave her in there for a while, because, you know, they always do that. And she went straight on the ground. And they were talking about how that was so weird. Like, look at her. She laid on the ground. If I was drunk, best believe I'm getting in a fetal position on the floor. She had something balled up, got on the ground, and laid down. But you know what? That's what I would have done. I've, That's exactly what I would have done. I've been that drunk where I'm just like sitting, ain't going to do it. I need to, my body needs to be completely leveled. I'm dizzy as shit. I need to. I have been there. So she was, she was there. And they let her ass stay there. They I let mean, her sleep it off. They, at so. least for a little while. <laughs> and then. She came in there wearing all black. After a while, they changed her into um, orange. While she's taking her little nap, they go back to the apartments and they take a look at the crime scene. They're interviewing Camille and Marcel's neighbors. Now, when they get inside the apartment, it looks like a brawl had just happened. Everything's broken. They go in the bedroom. They see Marcel lying in a pool of blood on a deflated air mattress. I knew that fish fillet knife on the mattress was not a good idea. The room was so bloody. There was blood all over the ceiling, all over the walls, on the floor, all over Marcel's chest and torso. There was even blood on a refrigerator. They left the apartment, and they talked to the neighbors next. The first neighbor told police that she heard a woman and a man yelling, but she knew it was Camille and Marcel because they argued all the time. Most of the other neighbors said the same thing, and most of the other neighbors said the same thing. They argue a lot, and so, you know... Sometimes I'll call 911. Sometimes I won't. Like, it's the same old shit. Don't nothing change. Then they talked to another neighbor who said that she was actually woken up around 1.30 a.m. thinking somebody was breaking into her house because she could hear all the glass breaking. So when she gets out of bed and she looks out her window, she sees it's just Marcel and Camilla's apartment. Just shit going down over there. She sees Camilla throwing dishes at Marcel, and she could see Marcel slouched on the 
on the floor with his arms in front of his face screaming, stop hitting me. She said it lasted for about an hour and then she knew it was over when she heard it go dead silent. And then she said she saw Camille grab a cup of water from the kitchen and turn off the lights. She told the police that she figured it was normal for Camille and Marcel to fight. It's what they do. And the detectives are like, well, if one thing is the same. We're not calling the police. like Right. It's so bad. Nobody's calling the police because it's just expected out of these two. So, I mean, at least that's consistency. We know that they fight. So fighting is probably what happened. The only problem is this time one of them's dead. This wasn't just a fight. So now they're like, let's go back and talk to Camille. Let's wake her ass up. When they get back to the police department to talk to Camille, they had to take her clothes into evidence. So, like I said, she was wearing black, and then they ended up giving her an orange jumpsuit to put on. They sit her up. They're like, okay, you slept for a little while. You Were, were you the one that called 911? And she's like, no, I didn't call 911 at all. My friend Ashley is the one that called 911. So that's lie number one. Then she was said, I, I was headed over there. It was dark. I went in there. We went in there, her and Ashley. And Marcel was just laying there. There was a lot of blood. She she called the ambulance, she panicked, and she left, and I panicked, and I left, and, and and that's all, that's what happened. The police are like, okay, what is your relationship with Marcel? How do you know him? And she's just like, we're just good friends. And they're like, what, your name is on the mailbox, because on the mailbox it says apartment two, and there's like a, you know how you put, they put your last name on there, except for it's like literally a piece of paper with tape on the sides, and it says Gamut and Hall on their mailbox. And she's like, no, we're just good friends. Detective is like, okay, well, the neighbor said that they heard some type of fighting. Were y'all fighting? And she's like, I don't know nothing about no fighting. She noticed routine. Now, the detective, Detective Shewitt, he knew that she was lying. He told her that Marcel was dead. He was like, listen, Marcel is dead. And she's like, dead? Y'all didn't try to do CPR on him or nothing? How do you know he's dead? And she keeps, like, asking him questions. He's like, I know dead and he's dead. He said, ma'am, let me tell you something. I'm a homicide detective. You think I don't know what dead is? And she was like, no, y'all didn't do anything. I want to just go see him. I just want to go see him. And he's like, ma'am, that is not going to happen. Actually, you're never going to see him again. He's trying to get her to talk. He's like, listen, I know that you may not have meant to kill him. I need you to talk to me. I need to understand what happened. She was like, no. No, 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 no. Can I get a lawyer? Which is the perfect time to get a lawyer. She really did that time and right. As soon as they started accusing you, you even asked me right. nothing. We're done. So, of course, that ended the interview. But he was like, okay, that's fine. You can get your lawyer. But I'm just letting you know that we're charging you with murder. So you're under arrest. Let's go ahead and wrap this thing up. He leaves her in there in the interrogation room. And sis goes berserk she is pissed she starts throwing the chair she swings the table around she's like she's pissed she's she is upset and they come in there they're like whoa 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 you cannot be throwing our shit around which girl are you trying to get an extra charge what would that charge be destruction of federal property i don't know if that's a charge but that sound like one so they're like okay let's take this girl to the holding cell they take her to the holding cell while they're waiting to arraign her on charges they arraign her on open murder which basically means that the judge and the jury gets to decide what first degree secondary self-defense all that stuff they get to decide and it's just open right now so they go back to the crime scene to re-interview the witnesses and neighbors now that they are for sure that Camille has done it they want to see if they can get some more information to use during the trial and piece together what exactly happened. The crime scene investigators were at the crime scene too, trying to piece together the blood spatter and the broken objects and see if they could get a story of what happened. 
The police looked at Camille's record, and they see that she does have a violent history, so they know that she's no stranger to getting angry and fucking some shit up. I mean, just look what just happened at the police station. They also look at Marcel's record and saw that he's got some domestic violence charges, and their records are kind of reflective of each other. Neither one of them was really up to no good, you know? They decided to talk to his family. They had to do the death notification, but they also wanted to know more about his relationship with Camille. The aunt and the cousin are telling them all about the hammer incident, the stabbing incident, the other stabbing incident, how they would just fight all the time. But Marcel always got lonely and missed Camille, so whenever he pressed charges, he always dropped the charges. Now, Camille's attorney was Anthony Radueso. He knew how bad it looked, so he goes to the prosecutor, and he's like, please, let's work out a deal. And the prosecutor is like, you know what? I'm going to get you a second-degree murder, and we can leave it at that. And Camille was like, hell no, because y'all trying to make it seem like I did this shit on purpose. Like we said, Camille's defense was self-defense. Her story that she was taking to trial was that Marcel was the aggressor and she was the victim. And then she was going to use all of these past incidents to show that she was just defending herself in every single one of them. She talked to her brother. Her brother was like, if you say that he was hitting on you and you had to start defending yourself, then just go there and tell the truth. They're going to for sure make Make sure that it's self-defense, sis. You're going to be straight, right? But then she starts taking the approach. It was dark. She was in the house, and she heard an intruder in the house. And so because she heard the intruder, she started just throwing any and everything that she could. And she had no idea that it was Marcel until she turned the lights on at the very end. The prosecution is like, okay, well, if that's the way you're playing it, then let's take it a step higher, judge. If that's what she wants to say, then she didn't know that the intruder was Marcel, right? So even though they had a relationship, if she claims that she doesn't know the intruder was Marcel, then all of these past things that Marcel did, that even him being on the sex offenders registry list, all of the past times that y'all have called the police on one another, all that is completely inadmissible in this court. And the judge said, all right. Fair argument to me. You know, but because if you didn't know who you were stabbing, then it doesn't matter who then they his were. history doesn't matter, yeah. So... Take that shit to trial, bitch. Take that shit to trial, bitch. Take that shit to trial, bitch. Take that shit to trial. When she got on the stand, like, she really gave a heartfelt, like, story about her background, everything that happened to her, her sisters, her family, all of her upbringing. She told the jury that the reason that she was drunk and high that night is because, you know, she has a history of trauma. I mean, rapes, abuse. She was just naming off the things that she says, she claims that she was diagnosed with, um, ADHD, uh, PTSD. She said she had ADD and ADHD, insomnia, um, all of these things the list goes on and on she was like because of that like I was drunk I was high and when I was laying in the bed someone came I didn't know who it was but someone came and hit me in the head and I, I was trying to find my purse and I was trying to turn on the light but I accidentally grabbed the floor lamp and I hit whoever this person was I didn't know that it was him it was an intruder at that point and I hit him in the head I got up, I grabbed the knife, and I stabbed him. Prosecutor said, so why you stabbed him 11 times, though? It was like, that's what we call overkill. Like, you just wouldn't let it go. They said, you would have been well able to get away and call 911 way before the 11 stabs were complete. 
but you decided to keep going. They filled the evidence table with all the bloody objects that she used, the pieces of the floor lamp, the knife, the broken glass, the dented firing plan. It was shit everywhere. It's like, you did th- you did all of this. And you telling me this whole time you don't know who the fuck you fighting? They told the jury about Camille stabbing Marcel, about her sewing him back up like she's fucking Dr. Frankenstein, hitting him with the hammer. They had the downstairs neighbor, Michelle Winters, testify that she heard Camille saying, go ahead, hit me to Marcel, but she never saw him hit her. But she did tell him, them that one time they fighting was so bad that they caused damage to her apartment. And when she confronted Marcel and Camille about it, Marcel apologized. And then he was like, my bad. I hate that fucking bitch. Talking about Camille. Then they had Melissa Olmstead testify about seeing Camille throwing dishes at Marcel the night of the crime and testified to hearing them fight all the time. They had a medical examiner come testify and he says that Marcel had therapeutic levels of a number of drugs in his system as well as marijuana, cocaine, and alcohol. Cocaine or crack, it's a big difference. First of all, let's get one thing straight. Crack is cheap. I make too much money to ever smoke crack. Let's get that straight, okay? We don't do crack. We don't do that. Crack is whack. And alcohol. He had one of them drugs in his system and alcohol. And he said that Marcel had 11, quote, sharp force injuries to his head, chest, back, and arms, end quote. They also said that one of the stab wounds in his head and his lung caused blood to leak into his chest cavity, essentially drowning him. Another of the wounds in his back hit the other lung, and there were three wounds in the back of his body. He also suffered from blunt force trauma, and there was a gaping laceration above his right eye and another in the back of his head and there were at least two other injuries in the back of his head also they talked about the defensive wounds on his hands and fingers and arms and he told the jury that the cause of death was from multiple sharp and blunt force injuries and the injuries were likely caused from both the firing pan and the knife but the manner of death was homicide for sure Next up, they had Dr. Karen Gilbert testify. Now, Dr. Karen Gilbert was the doctor that treated Marcel after the hammer incident, and she told the jury that he needed staples in the back of his head, but at the time, he didn't have any internal injuries from the hammer. She also said that he was also treated for the stab wounds, but the time that he showed up, she was talking about the black thread that was hanging very horribly badly sewn off of his skin because there's a skill taz and i were playing with this like learn how to make sutras and it was like your real skin that thing is it's very difficult to do and i'm sure i was was, about to sew something up real quick and i was like shit it is much more difficult than sewing a button on like (laughs) and i'm sure she was sewing that nigga like that Mm-hmm. Oh, goodness. So she mentions the very badly sewn shut wound. She was like, listen, in my professional opinion, he had to have been suffering from domestic violence because he said that he fallen down the stairs onto a nail. And as a doctor, like, if that's what you tell me, you know, whatever. But since we're here and I'm under oath, there is absolutely no way that he could have gotten those injuries like that. Like, come on. Then next to take the stand was Marcel's case manager, Sheila Larringe. Now, she was from the treatment facility and testified about how Marcel had a low IQ, that he was getting Social Security insurance because he had some cognitive impairments. She testified that she had questioned 
watch Marcel and Camille's match because you know Mar- Marcel was telling anybody that would listen that he had a girl, but she was and she was a little weary. But she also knew that Marcel craved normalcy, which included him having a girlfriend. So because that is what most people were doing, he wanted to do that as well. Marcel had told Sheila that him and Camille were arguing a lot. And he even showed where Camille had sewn him up. Like, again, with the like, ah, you know, it's it's fine. But I, I know she loved me. Like, that's that. That's that love. Okay. That's that good love. Mm-hmm. But she was like, are you sure you want to be with her? And he was like, no, we are good. I like it over here. She told the jury. She was like, listen, I told Marcel myself that if you stay with this girl, she is going to end up killing you. The last people to take the stands were members of Marcel's family. Barbara Johnson, Diane Brooks Joyner, and Sarmika March. Barbara is his older cousin, and she testified about him being a little slower than everybody else and about how he came to the house bloodied after the hammer incident. Diana testified that Marcel was her nephew, and Marcel's mom died when he was really young, and she was abusing alcohol as well. She was doing all that stuff. But when she got sick and she was about to really pass, she asked her to take care of Marcel, and she was like, you know I got my nephew. And so she had been raising Marcel ever since. She also testified that Marcel didn't have no money problems. Yes, the social security check didn't pay for a lot. Yes, disability and all that stuff, they didn't pay for a lot, but he didn't have no money problems. Like he was still, you know, making ends meet, not worried about not having to get a payday loan until Camille came along. Now, Sharmika was the last person to testify and that was his cousin. She testified that before Marcel met Camille, that he was a chore provider, that he was stable. He was doing everything that he should be doing before he met her. I mean, like, you know, he liked to cook dinner for everybody on Sunday he was a family guy he loved us but when she came around right and then they played all the 911 calls for the jury so now it's time for the defense to call their witness first they called Alfred Cavison a private investigator who they hired and he testified that he interviewed Camille in January 2014 and she told him that on the night of the murder she and Marcel had been drinking and doing drugs she said that she went out to get them some food and when she returned he was angry she said she went to bed and the next thing she remembers was a glass table being broken over her head over her head she reached for the lamp to turn it on and she just ended up grabbing a lamp and swinging it around and then Camille felt the knife on the floor and then just started stabbing until the attack was over when she turned the light on she realized that it was Marcel and that's when she called 911 next they had Camille get on the stand but only to talk about her traumatic childhood and her upbringing so that the jury could see that all the shit that she went through and that maybe this was why she ended up like this because of what she went through as a child she's in fight or flight mode survival mode she all she knew was she was being attacked and she had to be the one to survive she's telling them about the foster home she's telling them about the rapes that she endured she's telling them how the foster parents are the ones who did this how they gave her drugs she was diagnosed with PTSD major depression bipolar all of this shit the ADD the ADHD all of this is because of her childhood and then she um tells them that you know she was with Marcel because she thought that she could truly help him she wanted to do something good with her life she wanted to help him then she tells the jury about the attack on the night of the murder she says all I hear is bitch I'm gonna kill you and she didn't know whether Marcel was dead or not but that's why she kept calling 911 she wanted to save if he was able to be saved she told the jury that she was heartbroken when the detectives told her he died she never meant for him to die she did so good on the stand in fact that the prosecution was worried that it would sway how the jury voted in her sentencing 
So now it was time for the jury to go deliberate. None of Camille's family testified about her past or relationship with Marcel. Severia said on Snap that the jury only got to hear one side of the story. He was like, because I'm ready to help my sister out. So on March 5th of 2014, the jury spent five hours deliberating. When they came back, they found Camille Gamut guilty of first-degree murder. So, of course, they leave and have to come back for the sentencing. Her sentencing hearing was on April 16th. I will admit that Camille was acting how you would think that one should act during court. And that's really what had the prosecution shook. But after they said guilty... Baby, she came into sentencing with a whole new attitude. She didn't give a fuck. She, of she course, at this point, she was hot. Of course, at this point, she's in her orange because the trial is over. She's out of regular clothes. You know, everybody does their victim impact statement trying to get a really harsh sentence. Of course, she's already found guilty. Barbara Johnson, remember, that's Marcel's aunt. She was reading off a letter and literally in the middle of it, Camille was like, is that it? Like, like, damn, bitch, I'm still talking. And the judge got pissed because, you know, that's disrespectful as fuck. They say in the final word and the judge just starts yelling. Ultimately hit him in the head so hard with a pan that you actually came in the front of his skull and then you stabbed him no less than 12 times. And you know what? I was the only one in the courtroom that knew what kind of knife that was. And it was a big old long fillet knife. Because I, I used it to I used to fillet pike and musky and salmon. And I'll tell you, you gutted him like a fish in that apartment too. You were relentless, you stabbed, you stabbed, you stabbed, you stabbed, you stabbed until he was dead. You didn't think he was an intruder. You know, maybe one stab wound, okay. Maybe maybe that's seven defense. But you know, you you put in eleven more to make sure he was good and dead. So I hope, I, I agree with the family, I hope you die in prison as well. You know, and if this was a death penalty state, you'd be getting the chair. You have 42 days to appeal my sentence if you think I've legally erred anyway. Girl. And did you hear that part where in the middle of him talking, she like tries to cut off the judge and she's like, he attacked me. Yeah, I think maybe that's why she's frustrated. She was like, y'all done sentencing me, and nobody got to hear my side. Like, I'm trying to tell y'all that he attacked me, and he's on my... I could see how she might feel that that's unfair that they only chose one side of the story, but that's how your lawyer teed it up, and he decided how you were going to say your defense was by a stranger in the dark. And then him saying, if this was a death penalty state, you would be getting the chair. He talks about that, saying that later, and he was like, you know, first of all, it was the sentencing phase. It wasn't... They weren't in actual trying to find guilty or not. She had already been found guilty and he was like sometimes the judge has to take extreme measures regain order and i was like those were harsh words and of course marcel's family agrees with him but judge it's not a death penalty state but thank you for showing me your colors because you're supposed to uphold the law not the law of the other state don't tell me what would happen in the other state what's happening in this state is that i'll get life without the possibility of parole it was unnecessary it was definitely a i probably would have started crying if he said that to me (laughs) and yes that is what she got sentenced to life without the possibility of parole she was taken to huron valley correctional facility a level two security facility it is the only female prison in michigan which is wild marcel's family is still of course extremely devastated they said that they were happy with the outcome that the jury did do their job and they're grateful that justice was served she was proven to be a violent person and that violent person is off of the street now of course camille filed an appeal 
appeal in 2016 saying that her counsel was ineffective and the court should not have allowed her first interview into evidence because she was drunk. That was denied in 2017. She refiled it, but it was denied again and she hasn't been tried again since. All right, y'all, it's time for... Well, I'm not black. I'm OJ. I ain't do it, but if I did, this is how I would have got away with it. Just because it's on my brain right now, I didn't do it, but if I did, I would have done exactly what she did and been trying to get appeals because you were drunk that first time, and they sh- that should not be admissible. I do agree with that. And I do think that her counsel was ineffective because I think they should have advised her to take the approach of a plea. We both have, well, I don't know. Second degree murder is still pretty harsh, but if we would have taken the stance, we both have mental disabilities. We We both have drinking and substance abuse problems and we were two volatile people together and this is what happened. We were fighting. It is really nobody's fault. I just ended up, you know, like playing the yes, it happened. Exactly. And look at us. We are the telltale story of when it is time to get out of a relationship. But in their case, they both played a role in this. And there's plenty of cases where one doesn't and they were like, he was just the victim. They both were using substances and they both were taking advantage and they both were drinking heavily. If it was his influence, hers influence, a little bit of both. I ain't do it, but if I did, I would have been further from the house making him call. Like, they caught her literally, like, in the backyard or something. Like, she was right there. But she was out of her fucking mind. Right. I didn't do it, but if I did, I wouldn't have went to go be the caretaker or somebody then let them, hmm, try this crack. Like, what? <laughs> you keep being on the fact that it's the caretaker. They just filed the paperwork, Tazzy. They just filed the paperwork so that she could get a check. He was like, you know what? We love each other. We need some more money. Crack I could- is whack. Don't y'all ever let nobody put y'all on some crack. I was in New York and I saw a dude making this play. And, you know, me and the girls were drunk on the street. And I said, oh, what you selling? He said, crack. We said, oh, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> I do it, but if I did... If y'all know that y'all be fighting like that, and if it is a clear setup and you know that your neighbor can see right into your kitchen, you need to have some curtains. Oh, I'm telling you. Not she was watching the whole show. (laughs) She saw it from beginning to end. That's just in general. People do not need to know your business. I ain't do it, but if I did, sometimes y'all, your people be having your best interest at heart, even if they sound like assholes. And I've been there. They, you know, I think it says that it takes people like seven times to leave a domestic violence situation to actually leave. And I believe it. And I promise, like I said before, I've been through some of this shit. I ain't do no crap. But I, <laughs> been through most of this shit. Like, leave. They be all right. Just so will you. They will be all right. You gonna miss them. It's okay, it's okay to miss them. I mean, they was letting her in and out of jail. Oh boy she was fleeing charges like crazy at the beginning her and her ex she likes them bad boys it's just it, it's that cycle though for me like yeah. her parents were alcoholics ended up the kids getting taken away her alcoholic kids ended up being taken away in prison and it's like damn is prison what's needed to end the cycle like there's got to be something on a better way and also being a kid and being thrown into a system that's abusive as fuck how are you vetting foster parents for real for real because a lot of people are in it for the check don't give a fuck about these kids you remember that uh did you watch shameless yeah you remember when debbie went to a foster care and the black lady was like oh she's just so sweet and everything's so fun and in the basement it was like a kid 
Kitty sweatshop. <laughs> yes. Deadass, that's what be happening. And then we've seen the stories. I mean, a lot of stories have resurfaced and keep coming to the light about shitty foster parents. Like, it's crazy how those are being vetted. And then how are you taking care of the kids that are in the system? Because I know they're angry. That's the bare minimum. I know they're angry. But kick them out of the system. It's just, it's... And then wonder why why something like this happens. Parole or no parole. I do think she needs some help. I don't know. I would like her to complete a certain amount of time of therapy and then see how her actions have changed. Is she still as volatile and shit? Is she still as reactive? How many resources are are honestly available in the only women's prison in Michigan? None, probably, but... You know, I mean, like... <laughs> I feel like most of these pro or no paroles exist in a fantasy world. <laughs> Of course. I don't know. It definitely needs to be on some type of AA. No drinking the hooch, girl. You can't. You need to really be clean and sober. Other than that, but how you outburst at his, at his auntie, girl, that was unprofessional. That was not cute. That was rude, crude, and socially unacceptable. Like, mm-mm. I agree with that, but I do think she did not want him to die. You know, she did call the cops several times. Like, are y'all going to make it? You know what I mean? Like, we have a seen lot. a lot of people do a lot less with more certifications and all of that. She was very upset in the hospital. She seemed very concerned about his status. I think she just felt like so she you wasn't feel like being it was hurt. Still love. Yeah, you feel I like think it was she was just love. upset at the hospital because she wasn't being hurt. Like, you know, this family member has been telling Marcel to leave her, so they probably don't have a good relationship as it is. And so even though it was court and she should have held her shit together, she's impulsive. She's reactive. We see that. You know what I mean? And so, should she have said that? No, but I think she feels like everybody's sitting here saying, you wagging their finger at me when this never would have started had we not gotten a fight. Like, we were fighting each other. He got mad at me. This happened. It got out of control. But they didn't take that approach, and that was it, her problem. Exactly. But I think, like, I know I know you get real upset about the way she responded, but I think that is the only time in the child that she responded like that. And so, I do. I do think there was love behind her. I don't think she meant to kill them. I think she doesn't know how to control herself. And that's a big problem. So I, it seems like they didn't give her a full psych exam before trial. So because her process, I mean, I would. That's why I went go back to that ineffective counsel. Like there was no evidence that we could find about a psych exam being given prior to trial. She was up there telling the judge what she had. She's no professional. I mean, mm-hmm. even if she had been diagnosed with these things at one point, there needs to be some type of professionals to verify these things. And Ashley, are we even going to talk about her friend Ashley that she made up? Right. Sounds it sounds like we I need a professional. It, but if I did, you need more aliases, sis. <laughs> Don't do her like that because Ashley might United States of Terra, you know I love that show. Mm-hmm. Ashley may be really, you know, buck. <laughs> over there starting shit in her subconscious right medical professionals um reviews right keep them coming i love reading the reviews they really do make me happy i know but we used to do this religiously we'd be like oh we did another review we used to refresh the page like every day on friday like yes. to this one is from i don't even know how to pronounce this little name that apple gave you but it's titled whole office listening five stars i played like six episodes on a road trip with some non-melanated co-workers now they come into my office every week talking about the latest episode hearing them walking around the office talk about have you listened to sisters who kill this week <laughs> just warms my heart yes you don't need to gatekeep the show it's for everybody as long as you're respectful this one says love it i came across your podcast and i love it i feel like i'm talking crime with my friends at home keep up the good work queens y'all make my work day pass so much faster 
Side note, I served with Norman McCaster in the 634th Golf Company out in Crestwood, Illinois. He was a really good guy, and I had the chance to meet his wife at a family day event, and let me tell you, she was weird and very standoff from everyone, didn't speak to no one. And yes, he drank heavy on a lot of our drills, and to be honest, he was going to leave her because he wasn't happy and couldn't be himself. While the investigation was going on, we held an honorary service due to his family not being able to have a proper funeral, but I'll never forget those screams of pain. Hope this isn't inappropriate, but I thought you ladies would like to hear from someone who was around during that time. Once again, keep up the good work, queens. Thanks. Thanks. Watasha was crazy. It's like, damn, a divorce would have just got that done for. All right. If you want to connect with us, because this is the end of the show, if you're interested in the ad space, you can email us at sisterswhokillpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at sisterswhokill. Follow us on TikTok at sisterswhokillpodcast. Follow us on Instagram and see pictures at sisterswhokillpod. And you can join the discussion group. You have to answer the questions to get into the Facebook discussion group, but I can't wait to hear all of your juicy opinions there. Uh, you can also, if you're really into it, you can ask Tazzy any question that you ever want to in your entire life. It can be about why the moon moves or it can be why the sun rises. You can ask her about your relationships. You can ask her about why your big toe hanging off that way. You can mm-hmm. ask her any question at tazzytalks at gmail.com. That's T-A-Z-Z-Y talks at gmail.com. Anything else, friend? Talk to us. We talk back. Bye.